good evening. Join me in 1 Samuel chapter 17 as we continue our series, Your Giant Must Fall. And I hope that already God has been working in your heart as we have looked at some general characteristics of our giants and then begun naming them, whether we have named a giant that you face or not, that God has been using these messages to challenge you and help you to understand that you can have victory over your giants. And tonight we name our third giant, we've named the giant fear, the giant despair, and tonight we'll focus on the giant anger. And as we think about anger, it identifies a giant that most who face will not admit to facing because they don't see it. Angry people or people who deal with anger often fail to recognize that it is something that is a struggle for them. People who face anger find justifications for their anger. They may know why they are angry and feel justified in their anger, or they may not know why they are angry or even recognize the fruits in their lives that grow from anger. Anger represents a natural emotion of human nature. It's, it's not something that is foreign that we begin to assimilate as we live. It's natural to human nature. But those who face the giant anger live constantly angry. They explode angrily at minor things. They misjudge the intents or motives of others regularly and or they experience regular relational difficulties. We actually find it in our text. I want you to look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 28. And notice here what happens in the middle of this account. David has come. He's questioning the army about who this giant is that is defying the armies of God. The people answer him. And then in verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And read the next phrase out loud with me, would you? And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. His anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. It seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? What prompted Eliab's questioning and accusing of David? Anger. Our text reveals that his anger was kindled. I love the Bible terminology for this. The Hebrew word translated anger 
literally means the nose or the nostrils. And the word translated kindled means to grow warm or to burn hot. In fact, the very first time the word anger is found in the word of God, the, the Hebrew word translated anger here is in Genesis 2-7. Listen, that's where the Bible declares, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Nostrils here is the same word translated anger in 1 Samuel 17 28. Seems strange, doesn't it? But here's what the biblical penmen under the inspiration of God are doing. They're using the typical Hebrew expression uh, of expressing anger. The, the, the way they put it was like this. His or her nose burned hot. And what they're doing is identifying the way your body responds when you experience anger. Science tells us that when you experience anger, you go through biological and physiological changes, including increased energy levels, raised blood pressure, a spike in adrenaline or noradrenaline, increased body temperature, and increased muscle tension. And so the way the Hebrew writers described anger, they'd say it this way, his nose burned hot. When Joseph was accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to force her to lie with him, which of course was a lie, her husband didn't know that. The Bible tells us literally that Potiphar's nose burned hot toward Joseph. He was angry. He was mad. He was burning up with rage at Joseph. This is the way they frequently express anger. And so, let's ask, why did Eliab's nose burn hot toward David in our text? We're not told directly, but I believe leading up to this account, there are some cues in the Bible for why Eliab may have been angry. Was it jealousy? If you go back to 1 Samuel 16, David was anointed king ahead of him. Samuel came at the word of the Lord to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king. Who was the first son before Samuel? Eliab, the eldest, the firstborn. And that meant a lot, even more than it does today, culture, to be the firstborn. But when Eliab appears and Samuel thinks to himself, oh, this must be the one... It was in response then that God said, Samuel, this isn't him. Don't look on the outward appearance, for God does not look like man does. God looks on the heart. So perhaps jealousy. Can I ask you tonight, is there an individual or a situation that you're jealous over? 
Perhaps you're living with anger over jealousy towards someone or in a situation where someone was preferred before you, picked before you. Jealousy can lead to living with anger. Was it ingratitude? You go back just earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Why was David there? Do you remember? Why did Jesse send David to where the battle was going on? To bring his brother's food. I don't know about you, but it's a big deal when my brother brings me food. I like it. That's a blessing. David had come to bring them food and sustenance, and I have to wonder, was Eliab an ungrateful person? Ingratitude is a root cause often of anger. Can I ask you, are you generally a grateful person or do you tend to be lacking in gratitude? Was it embarrassment? Right before Eliab speaks up, what is David doing? David is asking who this giant is who is defying the armies of the living God while the entire army of Israel, king included, are hiding in their tents in fear. David expresses not fear but faith. David says, who is this guy who is standing continually defying the armies of the living God? Why, why hasn't somebody dealt with this? This is a guy who is blaspheming God according to the word of God. He can't stand before any of God's covenant people. The weakest in the army of Israel, standing on the truth of God, could have defeated Goliath, but they're all hiding in their tents. So here's David, the little, weak, scrawny brother. Those of you who have little brothers know what I'm talking about, right? David's the weak, scrawny little brother. What's he just done, though? Perhaps he's embarrassed Eliab. Eliab should have expressed and lived out the faith that his little brother had, but he hadn't. Maybe he's a little embarrassed. Can I ask you tonight, have you experienced or do you feel some embarrassment from the past that has left you angry? It's interesting, isn't it, how... A situation where you've been embarrassed, that can stick with you. Perhaps it's left you a little shy to pull the gun as we speak, to pull the trigger on, on things in your life. Similar situations or circumstances. But another thing it can do is it can leave you angry. Maybe Eliab was an angry person for other reasons, not expressed anywhere in the text and perhaps that's true for you what are some other reasons that you might face the giant anger have you been abandoned rejected neglected ignored cheated on unprioritized stressed overworked underpaid unappreciated unheard unloved betrayed cut down hurt unwanted abused 
oppressed, overwhelmed, burdened, self-focused. All of these, and maybe even others, can lead to anger growing in your life to the point where it immobilizes you and makes you less effective for God. It's time to slay anger. Anger must fall. And tonight I want us to look to the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 4, a familiar text, one you've heard me preach from before, but it's a wonderful text where we can learn how anger can fall. Ephesians chapter 4, and look with me if you would at verses 26 through 27, and then we'll jump to verse 31 and read through verse 2 of chapter 5. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. How can we defeat the giant anger in our lives? Number one, let go of bitterness and anger. You have to determine, you have to decide to let go of bitterness and anger. Has anyone caught the the apparent prediction in the text? That we just read. In verse number 26, the Bible says, Be ye angry. And then in verse number 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and it goes on, be put away from you. Okay, so which is it? Be ye angry or let anger pass away, be put away. Which is it? You say, Maybe it's a different original word. Nice try, it's not. Same word, different form, because one's a verb, one's a noun, but it's the same root form. It's the same word, so sorry, that expression or that reasoning doesn't work in this case. So what's the dividing line? Where, where, where is that line crossed where you can be angry and yet let all anger pass away from you? Well, let's break down the text. The first portion of the command, be ye angry, grammatically is a present passive imperative. If you remember from grammar, a passive verb indicates that the subject, which in this sentence would be what? You, and understood you. You be angry and sin not. The subject is the receiver of the action. Well, how does that make sense? We're being commanded, be angry and sin not. How, 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 how does that make sense? What Paul is calling on us to do is to understand where anger comes from. The source of anger, or what led you to be angry 
is usually from something outside of you that creates a response in you. Okay, so in other words, typically I'm not just angry about nothing. That anger has a source. Often it is something that has happened, an experience I've had, circumstance that I've gone through, something outside of me, something external that has happened to me that causes this response called anger inside me. Okay, so it's something external, causes something internal, but listen, this is not an excuse to blame our sin on others. Paul's not saying, hey, you're angry because something outside of you happened. That's not an excuse to blame your sinful anger on others. Expressing anger sinfully is not a product of that external problem or source, but a product of our internal problem. Well, what is the internal problem that is common to all of us? Sin. When you experience and express anger, and the expression of anger is itself sinful, someone or something else is not the cause of your sin. So you might properly say, that's the reason I'm angry. I'm angry because of that person and what they did to me. But if you express your anger sinfully, you can't blame that source of the cause. You can't blame that person or that circumstance outside of you. One writer wrote this. If you don't get anything else, get this tonight. One writer wrote, don't let sin against you produce sin in you. That's a good thought. And that's often what angry, uh, sinful expressions of anger, that's what it is. Sin outside of me that has produced sin in me. Something happens outside of us. We become angry and sin through the experience and expression of our anger. The Bible says here, be ye angry, what? And sin not. Describing what it is to sin in our experience and expression of anger, pastor and author Tony Evans wrote it this way. Anger is sinful when it attacks people and seeks revenge rather than addressing the problem. This thought's repeated in Psalm 4.4. I want you to see it. Psalm 4.4, the psalmist helps us identify what to do with anger. In Psalm 4.4, we read this. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. And so here the psalmist speaks of communing with your own heart. Well, what does that mean? Commune here means to think, meditate, reflect, to talk to yourself. So there you go, friends. You've got a Bible command to talk to yourself. It's okay. Go ahead. To ponder. Be still means to be quiet, to be at rest, to be silent. So here's what the Bible commands. When you experience anger, 
The best course of action before expressing anger is to stop and reflect. Think on it before acting. Is there a way to take your anger and be moved to an action that's appropriate? I believe there is. But often what happens is you and I get angry and we act sinfully because we've not stopped long enough to even think. How many of you have ever just, we might say, exploded in anger? You've said something, you've done something before you've really thought about it. Yeah, we've all been there. Stop. Think before acting on the anger and connect it to the counsel that Paul gives in Ephesians 4.26 because he says more. Be angry and sin not what? Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So yes, stop and think, but at the same time, it should be dealt with promptly and appropriately. These do not contradict, but work together. How so? Well, often, again, we act before we really think about it. We don't take time to commune with our own hearts upon our beds. We don't take time to reflect in quiet before acting on our anger. But on the other hand, we can be guilty of experiencing anger because of something that's happened and then doing nothing or putting off dealing with anger. Have you heard it said this way? You, you just sweep it under the rug. Well, let me ask you, friend, have you cleaned the mess? There's still a mess, isn't it? You, you've buried it under a rug, but the mess is still there. Here's the problem. When you do that with your anger over and over and over again, it's just building up. We said the very first message, your giant must fall. Giants aren't born giants. Goliath wasn't born nine and a half or so feet tall. He was a baby. Anger in your life and mine is that baby. You keep glossing over it, not dealing with it, and eventually that baby grows until suddenly you're staring at a giant that needs to be dealt with. And maybe some of us are already there. Dealing with it that way, putting it off and not dealing with it so that it goes unresolved is too destructive in a different way. Don't ignore, but deal with anger promptly and appropriately after taking time to wisely pursue the right response. Jesus is our example. One author wrote of Jesus, his anger never led to sin because his emotions were kept under perfect control. Christians must be sure that their anger is that of righteous indignation and not just an expression of personal provocation or wounded pride. It must have no sinful motives or lead to sin in any way. Experiences of anger that have been wrongly expressed should be recognized and responded to sin because that's what they were. The reason for your anger may not be your own sin, but if you become angry and then sin in anger, it's now yours. And you need to deal with it accordingly. In verse 31 then, Paul 
writes this. Look at it. Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So here we go. The other side of the corn. Coin. Corn. Be ye angry, but put anger away. Put that sinful expression of anger away. Put those, those sources of anger, deal with them appropriately and righteously. He's dealing here with holding on to anger or grudge of some conflict. Perhaps a wrong that has never been righted. A violation that you experienced by someone or trusted. It may be tonight that I'm addressing a wife who harbors resentment against her husband. Or a husband who harbors resentment against his wife for some previous argument or wrong. It may be a parent who harbors resentment against a child for not living up to expectations. Or children who harbor resentment against parents for decisions they've made. It may be a brother who's bitter against brother or sister, bitter against sister. Someone here. Or watching has lived with resentment stemming from situations in childhood. Some are even carrying anger against God. Symptoms of bitterness are usually easy to spot from the outside. Angry thoughts whenever a person's name is mentioned. Replaying the unresolved experience over and over again in your mind. Explosive anger at little frustrations. Reading the person's behavior into interactions with others. Just simply not being yourself. Feeling the need to slander others. Excessive complaining. All of these are characteristic of unresolved anger that's progressed and is progressing to bitterness. Regardless of your situation or experience, bitter and anger are hurting you and those close to you more than they're hurting the one that the bitterness and anger are harbored against. Let go of your bitterness and anger. How? Notice the text again in verse 31. It says, let be put away. Again, we have a passive tense verb. Do you know what Paul is telling us now? He's telling us that this is something you cannot do on your own. You cannot face and defeat the giant anger of your, from your own resources on your own. It's not, not a giant you're going to come against in your own strength and fight and beat and win the victory. But you can face and defeat the giant when you really willingly release the source of that giant into the care of Jesus. Remember, he's already gone into the valley. That giant is already defeated. If you're going to face it in your life, you need his strength. You must willingly give the situation, the experience, the bitterness and anger that you're harboring over to Jesus by laying it at his feet so you can experience the peace and freedom that comes from following him. He's inviting you to simply be willing to release it to him so that he can free you from the anger and bitterness that are weighing you down. Are you facing that giant tonight? 
Are you carrying bitterness and unresolved anger everywhere you go? Are you, are you seeing and facing that giant in the valley? The situation that caused the anger may have hurt deeply. But don't you see that the anger and bitterness are only hurting you even more? So Paul invites us. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sin outside you produce sin in you. Let it go. Give it over to Jesus. Secondly, and we'll hasten on, live out kindness, forgiveness, and love. You cannot separate verse 32 from verses 26 and 27 and 31. They're two sides, if you will, of an equation. It's not an either-or thing. It's an and-both thing. If you're going to successfully let go of bitterness and anger, then you must, through the power given you by Jesus Christ, live out kindness, forgiveness, and love. And it has been said over and over again that the main culprit, the main root of anger, unresolved anger, is unforgiveness. The Christian author and apologist C.S. Lewis wrote this, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. We like the idea of forgiveness until it's our turn to actually extend it. Letting go of bitterness and anger necessitates living out kindness. The word here deals with compassion, forgiveness. And as you go on into chapter 5, the idea of love. The freedom and healing that we need to experience to defeat that giant anger requires both letting go and living out. And we're not called to do this for another person's sake. We're not called upon to do it even for our own sake. We're called upon to do it for whose sake? Christ's sake. Because of what he's done for us. We say, Pastor, what that person did to me is unforgivable. The, the hurt that that person did to me was so deep, and they're not even sorry. What do I do with that? I would direct you to Matthew 18. When Peter asked Jesus, should I forgive my brother seven times? Jesus said, no, 70 times, 70 times. And then he told that parable of the servant who owed the master 10,000 talents, uh, an unimaginable debt. And yet the king forgave them all. Went out and he found his servant who owed him money, and it, it was a very small amount, and yet he refused to forgive. And when word got back to the king, the king said this, O oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Just like I forgave you. You should have forgiven your fellow servant. The parable in our lives is easy to see, isn't it? What has Jesus forgiven you of? 
Is there anything that you've ever said, thought, or done that Jesus has left unforgiven? If you were to begin to, to sit down and make your own record of all the wrongs that you can remember, I don't know about you, friend, but the list would go on and on and on for me. Just the ones I can remember. And yet, over every one of them, the blood of Jesus has been applied. And the record book has been marked forgiven. And so because of recognizing that that's true in my life, God says, you forgive others now. Just like I've forgiven you. What does that mean about how I should forgive others? Is there anything that should be left unforgiven? When we do not forgive, we're failing to live out what we have so graciously received. But you say, how does that help me to understand how I can forgive what seems unforgivable? Because it's not through us or in us, but in and through Christ and what we've already received and continue to receive from him that we can forgive others. If you focus on the hurt, if you focus on the reason for being angry, you'll not find place for forgiveness. Instead, reflect on Jesus. Reflect on the reality that you've been forgiven of all the wrongs that you could never make up for, that he's provided forgiveness for all of those wrongs that have been done to you, and the one who has done the wrongs can never make up for. He's provided forgiveness for all of that. In other words, you don't have to forgive out of your own resources. You can forgive out of his. Jesus has provided all you need. And then number three, look ahead to Christ and the cross. Look, if you will, at verse number two again of Ephesians 5, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In verse one, we're called to be followers of God. That's is we're to imitate God. But then right after that, Paul says, walk in love. And as an example, he presents Jesus who loved us and laid down his life for us. So in one sense, we're to look back to Christ in the cross because he's already laid down his life. He's already died at the cross. But yet, I said, look ahead to Christ and the cross. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Paul told us to walk in love. Well, what is a walk? It's movement. It's progression. It's moving from one place to another place. As growing believers, isn't that what we're to be doing? Progressing, moving forward, moving from where we are now one step at a time to the next place in our growth and our maturity that God has for us. And what is the end goal of that? Jesus. 
to be like him. And as it relates to love, what does that look like? Every time that the Bible speaks of Jesus' love for us, the demonstration of that, the illustration of that is he laid down his life for you. He shed his blood for you. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The loving was proved by the giving. The loving was proved, demonstrated, evidenced by the giving, laying down his life. That's what we're to be moving toward in our lives. The type of love that drove Jesus, that, that prompted Jesus, that motivated Jesus to go to the cross and give his life for us. We are to be moving closer to Jesus and the cross. That is my goal, to love as he loved. So I look ahead to my goal and seek his help to grow in his likeness more and more each day. And so I call upon you, if you're facing the giant anger be ye angry and sin not. Remember, giants often try to draw our focus away from where it should be. We looked at that the first Sunday. They often call out to us, shout to us, to get us to look at the giant when we should be looking at who? Jesus. If you are so focused on the giant anger, what is it that you're really focused on? The reason for the anger. You're focused on what that person did to you. You're focused on that experience that led you to be angry. Instead, stop looking at anger, stop looking at the giant and look at Jesus. And if you will do that, you will find his help and his strength to defeat the giant anger. To put it to, bet, to rest in your life so that you can move on for him. Heavenly Father, thank you for what your word speaks to us on in this area of anger. Lord, we all experience anger, and we all know what it is to sin in anger in our expression of it. But then there are some of us that anger has become a giant in our lives. It's become a stronghold that we struggle with regularly. I pray that you would help all of us to learn better how to handle anger 
how to battle better experience and express it in a way that is right lord that we wouldn't just bury it or or try to gloss over it but i pray especially for those that anger has become a giant in their lives that you would work in their hearts that you would help them to see that giant is already defeated and that you've given us all the resources we need to overcome and defeat that giant because after all, that giant is already defeated in Christ. So help us tonight to take what we've heard to apply it in Jesus' name.